tangle this thing up a little bit. Um, we're going to inconvenience you there sitting a little further back. Um, yeah, sorry. Daryl doesn't have to move. But we're going to say anybody who's sitting in the row beyond Richard Webb, Richard, raise your hand. We're going to have everybody come on up. So I'll give you about a minute to move up. Please. Sorry. the teenagers back there all right let's pray father god we thank you for tonight we thank you for your love and goodness our prayer lord is that you'd be here present with us as we get into the word that our hearts would be open that you'd fill your spirit and and deal with us lord uh, as we know you're so faithful to do in jesus name amen all right so tonight we're going to be in exodus chapter 19 and this is our last men's study of uh this cycle before we pick up again i believe in uh, September, if I remember correctly. And we'll be doing all of chapter 19. <clears throat> and our focus today it will be on Israel's preparation for the law of God. You know, up until now, Israel's been traveling after they were released from captivity, which are the Lord's works in Egypt. And they've traveled quite a bit and had some uh, interesting experiences as they crossed the Red Sea, as the Lord led them with a pillar of smoke and fire and as they did things like see water pour forth out of a rock you know and the whole way as israel's going of course they are uh, they are dissatisfied in a lot of ways um and as the lord brings them here to the foot of mount sinai uh they get to a place that's going to be the location for the entire rest of the book of exodus so from here all the way into the book of deuteronomy you'll see them here at mount sinai and the lord is here preparing them dealing with them as they're about to hear his law and hear what the expectations are of obedience for God's people. And this is also the location where Moses will go up the mountain a total of seven times between now and the end of the book. In this passage, he'll go up the mountain uh, three times in particular, and he reveals three different things as he goes up each time in our passage today. He reveals when we see first that Israel is called to obedience in God, and that's going to be in verses 1 through the first part of 8. Secondly, we're going to see that Israel is called to holiness uh, and to a holy God in verse 8 all the way to verse 15. And lastly, we'll see uh, God's holiness and power manifested to Israel so that they truly understand the God they're serving in 16 through 25. And let's go ahead and read. It says, In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they departed from Rephidim and had come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes. Let them be ready for the third day. 
For on the third day the Lord will come down from Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. So when the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people. And they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of that trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people as they break through to gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish. And also let the priests who come near uh, consecrate themselves as the Lord break out against them. But Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, Set bounds uh, around the mountain and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to him, Away, get down, then come up, you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people, and he spoke to them. So it's pretty wild stuff that happens here on Mount Sinai, um, which is God's mountain. Now, in verses 1 through 8, we see that Israel is called to obedience uh, of a holy God, really. In verse 1, we get some of the facts of their journey. We see that they've gotten here three months and three days since they had left Egypt, it tells us there in verse 1. So that they continue this entire time, if you remember, being led by God, whether it was by the pillar of smoke and cloud by the day, or whether it was the pillar of fire by night, God was there with them, leading them here the entire time. And so they, it took this time here for them to get to the mountain. And when they get here, um, they get here, and it's not perchance. This is exactly where the Lord had told Moses that he would bring Israel and Moses back to. In, in Exodus 3, verse 12, you remember that God told Moses, I will certainly be with you, so he makes a promise. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God. Where? He says, on this mountain. He says, right here. So this entire time, we, we know that God's been leading Moses to this place, to this destination. And I think that's an important idea to, to think about, that as the Lord is in charge of our lives and as the Lord is leading us, that he brings us places purposefully, intentionally. Um, and sometimes we don't necessarily realize that. Sometimes we forget that. And we think we're at a place by accident or because someone did this or we did that. And it, it is all the Lord. And it's critical that as believers, we allow God to lead us. We allow God to speak to us. We allow God to have that kind of direction that's so necessary for our lives uh, to keep us where, where he would have us and in a place where we can hear and where we can uh, commune with him and get to know him better. So we see that he's led Moses and the people of Israel here as he, he talks in verse 2 that they come here and they camp right there at the bottom of the mountain and literally saying they're near the presence of the Lord, you know, as they're there. They stay there a long time. We know that they're there about 10 days short of an entire year, you know, so they'll be in the same area, uh, the 3 million or so people that were there. And you could, should consider that the children of Israel had been in Egypt, they had been slaves, they had been saved uh, by the blood of the Lamb, if you remember, in the Passover. And now they're brought here to God's mountain and are preparing to receive the law, which really, they, all the law ever is, just like the word is for us, are instructions for how to please a holy God, instructions for holy living. And so they've been prepared for this. They've been prepared to come and enter into this relationship with God and to sit at his feet and come and draw near. You know, that time that we get to spend drawing near to God is 
uh, maybe the most important time of each day for us, right? And we sit there and we read or we listen and we spend time in prayer because that's where we begin to hear God give us direction. We begin to hear God clarify things. We begin to hear God rebuke us if we need it. Whatever it is and whatever way the Lord deals with us, it's because we've drawn near. It's because we've allowed him to teach us. And I want to suggest to you that as we see what happens to the children of Israel here in the book of Exodus, that it is a parallel to our lives as believers. Okay? Not that it's not always a one-to-one, but that we see how they were saved, and now they're bringing, uh, being brought into this relationship. And now that you've been saved, now that you've been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, uh, how we go ahead and please this God that did this for us. And we're going to see how God lays that out for them here in, in the coming verses. How Moses then takes the initiative and, and goes up to meet God in verse 3. And speak with them face to face. And, and this is, I'm sure to the people, must have been strange. But to Moses, this had already happened. If you recall back in chapter 3, when he was called up and had spoke, right? At the burning bush with God face to face. And so Moses goes up and God speaks to Moses, which really is the important thing. It's much less Moses talking and much more God talking to him. And he tells him, hey, this is what you have to say to the strong of Israel. This is my direction for you, for them. And it's so perfect that the Lord makes clear that this didn't come from Moses. Okay, this is not something that was generated by man. It was, it's God. In the same way as when we speak to one another, when we share with people who don't know the Lord, when we encourage each other, it's always on the basis of the word of God. It's always directed by him. You know, we don't speak to each other on our own authority. It's not because I said or you said or Xavier said or any of that, but it is the Lord. And so the Lord wanted the people then to understand through Moses how to approach God and how to serve him. It's going to be real clear here in how he wants things to happen. And he addresses them. And it's interesting, even as he's talking to Moses here, he's speaking to him. He says, thus you shall say, he says, to the house of Jacob until the children of Israel. And, you know, th- these little terms, by the way, are not insignificant. When he calls them the house of Jacob, he really is referring and recalling back their, their humble beginnings, you know, coming out of the flesh into where they are now, the children of Israel, which is where they've come as a nation. They, they belong to God. Okay? They're his in the same way that Jacob became Israel. And so the Lord is, is sprinkling all of this throughout. And as we, you know, we sit and we study, um, we, we see the way that this works as the Lord identifies them. In verse 4, we see that the people then are reminded of the past, of what God's done for them. The Lord reminds him and says, you've seen what I've done in Egypt and how I brought you on eagles' wings, how I brought you to myself, of how he had saved them, spectacularly, really. I mean, through all these signs and wonders and, you know, blood, water turning to blood and all these plagues and you name it. And finally, the firstborn dying. And all this stuff happening, the Lord says, you guys remember that. Go ahead and look back for a second, he tells them. Think back to what had happened. And you keep that in mind, what I've done in your life. He says, because it was not something that you should ever lose sight of. Even the way he talks about it uh, really describes what the Lord had really done. He says he brought them on eagle's wings, right, and brought you to myself. It's an image of strength. It's an image of absolute majesty that the Lord does this. You know, have you ever seen an eagle flying around? Okay. I mean, if you... if most of you guys go out and camp and hunt and fish and do things like that and kill things and eat it right there in the field. I don't know what you do. But, uh, you know, you do things like this. When you get out there, you see these birds of prey. They're, they're absolutely amazing. You see them up close. They're huge. They're just massive. And they come down and they cast these shadows. And the Lord says, I brought Jesus on the wings of this, of one of these animals, of an eagle. You know, I was the one that was there for you. I'm convinced that like writers like you know like Tolkien who wrote like the Lord of the Rings kind of stuff he, that he knew this. I mean, picks this up. This is imagery that will go on all the way through Isaiah. Do you remember even the Lord of the Rings books? Um, they had that a scene where they're saved on eagles' wings, literally, right? The eagles come, and it's all biblical imagery. You know, he can't take credit for that. And the Lord is reminding them, says, "I've done this for you, and I've taken care of you. You know, you're in a place of privilege because." You're mine. In fact, an eagle we know will even carry its, its young on its wing as they teach them to fly. Okay. You know, God wants each and every one of us to recall 
the care that he's had for us in the past, to remember where we've come from, what he's saved us out of. Not that we have some kind of a competition amongst each other about, well, the Lord saved me out of this. It's never that, but it's always like the Lord saved me, <laughs> period. And that he did that is an absolute miracle for each and every one of us. And the Lord would have us remember that because it's going to keep us honest. It's going to continually remind us of what we are without him. And that what we are, we are by the grace of God only. So then do you remind yourself of just how good God is to you? Do you allow him to remind you as you sit there and you pray and you read? And the Lord says, yeah, you know, that, that's, that's a good thing that you just got. You know, you just got that house. That, that's great. You know, you got that new kid. You know, a, a girl's actually interested in you. You know, whatever it is that the Lord brings these blessings into our lives. And yes, they are blessings here in the world oftentimes, but even more so the spiritual blessings that we get to speak and hear from him, that we get to grow, that he's patient with us even when we foul up all the time. You know, God has initiated this, this work of salvation in the life of, of these people in the way that he has with us. And it's his initiation and it's his work. And the Lord says, come on. He says, then I'm, I'm going to show you everything you need to do. I'm going to make it really easy for you because he knows us. And he tells them, he says, this is what's happened in the past. He says, now let's talk about now. In verse 5, he says, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, people for all the earth is mine. So he says, look, you're going to have this place if, if you obey. See, obedience would result in Israel being set apart above all others, to God. So what's that mean to be set apart? Well, he says first you have to be obedient to do this, right? That word o- obedience here just means to, to guard or to keep watch, you know, to be devoted to something. And the reality is that in our relationship with God, as the Lord has saved us, obedience is at the very center of our love and devotion to him. You cannot say that you love God and not be obedient. John talks about this over and over and over again in the epistles. You know, you cannot hate your brother and say that you love God, right? They, they don't go together. Jesus talks about this in John 14 when he's talking to the disciples. He says, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. He says, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. John 14, 23, the very two verses later, Jesus says, So then if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. The Lord makes it as plain as can be. He says, you love me, you're obedient to my word. And that's tough. That's, that's, I mean, that's a hard line, right? It's a hard line to toe. When, when you have to tell your kid that, that, hey, love is obedience. They're like, and they're shot like, what? You know, but I feel something. Well, yeah. That's true, but the feeling's always followed by something that's tangible, yeah. Something that is obvious, okay. And that's how you know. You know, you tell your wife that you love her, and that's great, but you got to show her sometimes. You know, you got to wash the dishes every once in a while. Take her car to get cleaned, you know. Take the kids off her hands so she can get out for a bit. We do things for those that we love, and it's even more true between us and the Lord. In the same way that when you're at a place and you're engaged there in whatever it is that you're doing, you're showing that that matters to you, whether it's you at work or whether it's, you know, you young people, you know, whether it's you at school, that you're present there, okay? That other things aren't consuming you. Lord says, you come to me, he says, you're obedient because as you do this, to me, you matter, And I'm going to make you something different than you were before. You become holy. And the word he uses there is is special treasure. That's the phrase. It's an interesting idea here is that this word was was used of kings who, you know, a king back in that day theoretically had and owned everything, right? They're like, your house, that's mine, right? This thing is mine, even though you think it's yours. Everything was theirs. But that these kings, although they had everything, would sometimes pick one item, one thing, one place that they esteemed as unique for themselves, and they'd say, no, this is extra special for me and only me and nobody else, and they set up a marker around it, okay? That's the idea that this word communicates here about us and God, that God says, you are my valued property. 
Not just that you're one of the things in the drunk drawer, that you're on display prominently on that shelf. You know? And God says that about his people. He says, you belong personally to me. Despite the fact that they complained along the way and all this other stuff, he says, this is what you get to partake in. And you know, as believers, the same principle continues to hold true for us so that when we're saved and then we go and obey, we do this because we love God. And as we do this out of love for God, we're not earning stuff, but we're confirming what the Lord has already done in our hearts. And this is what's going on with Israel as well, that this obedience gives them access to the blessings of God and the benefits and the joys of being in a relationship with him. And this is where the Lord has each and every one of us, that we enjoy those benefits. As we're obedient, it unlocks doors. You know, the Lord's good that he tells us how to get stuff, right? He says, hey, you, you, you get to have this. And you do this, not because you're earning it, but because you're different, you know? You know, to belong especially to him, I, I think it even expands on the idea of being called his child because we, we forget that sometimes, that we belong to him, but that we belong to him in, in a way that nothing else belongs to him. You know, what spiritual benefit do we sometimes cheat ourselves out of because we're not obedient to him? The Lord says, I want to bless you with stuff, but your lack of obedience is holding you back because that's where we put ourselves sometimes as we compromise, as we, as we limit the Lord's working in our lives because the only limit that there is on what the Lord can do in our lives is placed by us. That's the reality of it. It's never God. And we serve this God who calls us his own, despite the fact that it tells us here that all the earth is God's, he says, yeah, for all the earth is mine. It all belongs to him. There's no gain in it for God. He is not added to one bit by you and I. Okay? He's got it all already. But this is the degree of the exaltation for us and for them as we love God, that we're exalted above all the things that we see. And every once in a while, it kind of hits us, right? That, you know, stuff around here, stuff in this world even that's fallen is really stinking cool. You know, the other morning I was driving around and, you know, it was just one of those mornings where it was beautiful and clear and not too hot. And the mountains just had that look, right? And it's like, man, that's cool. And the very next thought, which was not of me, is, and it ain't perfect. I was like, whoa, okay. Well, that, that's true too. <laughs> it is imperfect. And, God, and, you know, God cares about us more than all of those things. When we wig out because we saw something in some nature documentary or, you know, because we learned this other, God's like, yeah, that, that's, that's fine. But what about you? Okay. What about you? It's humbling. He says about them. He says, and, there, there, and you shall be then, in verse 6, a kingdom of priests. He says, and a holy nation. So you guys will become something beyond what you are. He says, you will be priests to me. You'll be my representatives here on earth. And as a nation, you're going to be set apart so that you're not like all of the other things that are common, all of the other profane things in this world. Because the idea is that to be holy really encompasses our behaviors, our ethics and morals, and even uh, for them, their, their ceremonial and their religious rites. He says, you're going to be absolutely different from everyone else that's around you. So when they look, they're not going to just see you, but they're going to see me reflected in you. And this was really Israel's call from the very beginning. It's something that um, uh, is clearly demonstrated throughout the Old Testament and the New that they just didn't get. They latched on to the idea that, yeah, I belong to God. That makes me, you know, something. But that's a, that for a lot of people, that's kind of where it stopped. And sometimes as believers, that's kind of where it stopped for us too, right? We're like, well, you know, I'm a Christian. <laughs> yeah? So? <laughs> and we, we wear this like it's something that matters because we have a tag on, and, and it really doesn't. See, the same calling then is the calling that he gives the church. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter writes, But you, and he's talking to the church, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, you're his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercies, but now you have obtained mercy. 
And that's what we are because we've had that mercy and grace in God. You see, how are you living as a part of God's own special people? What role are you fulfilling in there? What has God called you to that you need to do a little better? Because if we belong to God and we're God's representatives here, then it's something that we need to you know, be sober-minded about. It's something that needs to matter to us more than anything else. God emphasizes here as well in this verse that Moses needs to make sure, he says, Moses, you go tell them this, right? He says, these are the words that you shall speak. He says, don't forget. You go down there and you make sure that they understand my nature. And you make sure that they understand what the elements of this agreement really are. You have to do this. You are my communicator. You are my mouthpiece. You know, you know God calls us the same way. He calls us. He shows us grace. And then he tells us, you know, how our lives should be changed. And uh, then it's in our, the ball's in our court, right? Then we're accountable, you know. So Moses does it in verse 7. He goes down and he says he calls all the elders with him um, and tells them what the Lord had said so that they might agree or not agree on account of the people and for the people. And it says that when they heard it and he had laid everything before them, they, the people answered and they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. So they agreed there. They said, we'll, we'll do this. Uh, th- this makes sense to us. And you think about it, it really does. I mean, God says, hey, I'm going to give you this, 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 this. And the list just goes on. He says, or you can have nothing. And we're like, oh, I want that. It is completely reasonable. It makes perfect sense. You know, the problem is not that the promises of God to us don't make sense. The problems are flesh. Yeah. That's what it is. It's, it's never some kind of a cognitive or a logical issue. Because God makes sense. It is completely rational to believe in him, to take that wager, so to speak. But when we don't, it it, it really is just us. And so we really have to be honest about that with ourselves, that when we don't fulfill our end of this bargain, um, it's not because we have doubts, right? It's not because of whatever other excuses we want to make, but it's because we ultimately are saying, well, right now I'm not valuing that. You know, being God's child is no small privilege. So then, what are we doing with it? What's the responsibility that we have, you know, representing the Father to this dying world? Because it's, it's dying. This is, these are the last throes of this world. I mean, there's just no other way to, to say it. If it's not, if this ain't it, then wow. <laughs> Whoa. You know, if, if we're all going to, live out the, the rest of our lives before the Lord comes back, and things are, are going to get really, really rotten before he comes back then. And if the Lord says, you go here, he says, you go love these people, and, and you share me with them. And you tell them about what's available to them, and you demonstrate that with your own life. And so in verses 8 through 15, he says, uh, Israel is also called to holiness to God. Notice what happens here in the bottom half of verse 8. He says, so Moses brought back the words of the Lord, uh, of the people to the Lord. So he's upholding his end of the bargain. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I come to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear what I speak with you and believe you forever. So the Lord uh, establishes Moses here as this go-between and says, this is the way it's going to work, Mo. He says, you're going to come up, I'm going to speak to you, and they're going to hear, you know, they're going to see that your authority is vested by me so that I'm the one that gives it to you. I'm the one that's behind you. And truly, this is the way it would work as you continue to reread in Exodus and then Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, some of the wild things that happened, you know, with Moses. I mean, later on when when they mess up and he comes down and, you know, breaks the tablets and then the earth opens up and sucks people down into it. Just crazy things that go on, you know, with Moses when he, he judges Korah and goes to the Lord and lays him out before him. And he says, hey, everybody back it up. And they back up. And the Lord just like goes out from the tabernacle and smokes them. Just wild stuff that happens. It must have freaked people out. Okay. And, and this is the beginnings of it. Now, you got to think that they already had an inkling of this. They had seen all these plagues come. They had seen, you know, heard about rods turning into snakes and eating other snakes and just crazy things and 
This is what Moses' ministry was. And God's establishing this order for them. And so that it's important for the people to understand what that order is. In the, in the same way as God being a God of order establishes order even within the church and even within our families. So then, as believers, when we come to God, we approach him knowing that there is a proper way to approach God. We do not take him lightly. Okay, We approach that with respect. We do not treat it in every, any fashion that we please, you know. There is something to the formality of some of the denominations, huh? In, in, in the way that they have people approach God. And even something as simple as the way that they dress to church. Not that I'm advocating wearing suits and ties, because let me tell you, I don't like that. <laughs> but, you know, it really inculcates that idea of, hey, you come to God, you come a certain way. You know, I think maybe in a 21st century America, we forget that kind of a thing. Everything's so casual. Moses tells God then what the people had said, so he was faithful. And then God tells them, okay, this is what needs to happen. If they're agreeing to it, they need to go consecrate themselves today and tomorrow and then let them wash their clothes. So he's saying, all right, if they're going to come to me, they need to prepare themselves. Okay. And he's talking about their ceremonial holiness and their consecration, that they need to do this so that now they are beginning to understand the importance of what it means to be found acceptable to God. He says, you're going to come to God, you're going to be acceptable to me. There is a proper way to do it. It costs you, okay? And he says, you're going to prepare for the third day because on that third day, the Lord will come down upon the mountain Sinai in the sight of all the people so that the Lord would come and he would speak to them so that they might hear them. You know, do we prepare ourselves to hear the word of God? Yeah. So how do we do that? We, we get right, yeah. We get right with the Lord. We make sure that our accounts are short. We put ourselves in a proper frame of mind. When we walk into a study, we sit and we don't try not to fall asleep during worship. But we actually get in there and say, all right, Lord, what, what do you got for me? You know, what, what do you want to say? Because it begins there. It begins in the drive-in, yeah? We're coming in and we're not totally you know, flipping off people on the, on the street, hopefully right before we pull in the, the parking lot and then say hi to Mario. We prepare ourselves for him. Because on the third day, he says, God's going to meet them. And he says he's going to come down on Mount Sinai for everybody to see. They will see God, and it's going to be awe-inspiring. It's going to be terrifying to them, really. Hmm. You know, it's important for us to remember the God that we serve, that, that he's a God that is powerful. He's a God that's alive. He's a God that loves us. He's a God that has mercy on us. And this is all, these are all parts of him that exist all at the same time. And yet he's gentle with us, yeah. And he's open with us. So then as we approach our God, that we approach him with the proper respect, with the proper desire to hear him, knowing that he's got the things that we need in no short order, really. So Moses uh, further communicates the idea that they needed to understand exactly what the boundaries were in their relationship with God. Notice he sets physical boundaries around the mountain, it tells him. Okay. He says the people are not to approach the mountain. They are not to touch it. He says they needed to set here. Okay. Like, well, where does the mountain end? Where does the mountain start? It doesn't really matter. That doesn't really matter. What matters is that they set in bounds and they said, don't cross it. Yeah. And it's a test of their obedience, a test to see if they really understand the God that they said, yeah, we're going we're gonna to obey. Hmm. That God is holy. That people who are full of sin cannot approach this holy God and expect to live very long. You know? And he's holy in every sense in so much that he's pure and that he's undefiled and that he cannot inhabit the same space as sin, which is us. Yet eventually, he is going to inhabit the same space as us, right? We're going to be changed. Our very nature will be changed. Hmm. So he says there are requirements then, he wants them to understand, in approaching God. And it's in line with understanding his character. See, how well do we understand the character of the God that we claim to love? Do we really get that? Or do we try to shape God into something that makes sense for us? You know, well, I need God to be this. So, you know, God will be that for me right now. 
That's not the way that it works. That's not the way that it works. In the same way that your father is not some chummy guy that's hanging around playing video games with you. If that's your dad, kids, if that's your dad, that probably ain't a good thing for you, okay? Just letting you all know back there, all right? Not a good thing. If that's, if that's as deep as it goes, oh boy, you know. Hmm. Notice there's a penalty for not getting it. He says, if they touch it, it says violators will be killed. He says they'll be stoned or shot. Whether it's man, whether it's beast, it didn't matter. It says this is, this is it for them. And this is a safeguard, really. Okay. And it was also a tutor for them. And even the animals, jeez. Severe consequences. But it's a severe infraction. Okay. The Lord really wants them to get this. He really wants them to understand. Because as time goes on, these things start to break down for them. And they forget, they forget about God. Notice he, he gives them instructions about what's going to happen uh, when, he, when he gets there. He says, when the trumpet sounds, verse 13, and sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. So that's when they can approach. He says, I will call them myself. He says, Moses, you're not going to have to do anything. They'll hear these trumpets blare from on top of the mountain. And by the way, they are not trumpets. It's just noises that sound like trumpets. Okay. And God says, this is when you know that I am ready to speak to my people that I'm going to be giving the people what they need in order to walk in obedience like they had promised back here in verse 8. You know, it is interesting that the people, they, it seems that the way it's presented here, that they responded really quickly was like, hey, God said if, we do, if you're obedient, you're going to get this, that, and the other thing. They're like, yeah, we, you know, we'll do it. But how often do we reply in the affirmative when something sounds good, but then we don't really understand what that all entails, right? It's kind of like buying a house, like, yeah, it's a good idea. You know, some good rates. I got some money in my pocket. Let's go do it. And then all of a sudden you're like, what, what am I doing? They walk up to you and they give you that stack of papers. And you're like, whoa, boy, <laughs> it's a big stack of papers. I don't have time to read all this. And I don't understand it either. Hmm. But it's neat that, that God knows where we're at. And that he provides those things that are necessary for us to carry out what he's asking. That he equips us to be able to do these things. It's neat. We see parallels with this in the Old Testament. If you remember when, uh, when Paul, who saw at the time in Acts chapter 9, he's on that road to Damascus, gets knocked in his rear end, all these things happen. And he says, well, you know, what am I supposed to do with you, Lord, for you, Lord? And the Lord just tells him, he says, I'm going to show you. And I'll show you what things you have to do. And the Lord says, don't worry about it. You'll find out, Paul. If you would have told Paul, Paul probably wouldn't have been like, whoa, what are you talking about? <laughs> but he says, you'll be okay. And you're going to be equipped for it. You know, if we really want to be God's holy people, then we need that obedience piece to be there in our lives, that we're obedient according to what we know from his word, to his revealed word. And that's the thing. Whatever God's told you about, whatever you've seen and that you know to do, you go ahead and you do. Okay, well, what about the things that I don't know? You don't know. Keep doing. And the Lord will tell you, the Lord is faithful. The Lord is good. He's going to take care of all that stuff. But if we really want to be God's people, if we really want to be holy, as he's called us to be holy, that, that holiness is that obedience to the revealed truth. That's what it is. Practically, that's how it manifests in our lives. And so Moses carries out what the Lord wanted in verse 14. It says that Moses went down and he sanctified the people and had them, told them, hey, you guys got to wash your clothes. You guys are, are being made sacred. And so they washed their clothes as part of the consecration. It's a big deal. Washing was not a regular thing at this time. Okay. Kind of like certain little boys that I know. Washing is not a regular thing. And this washing signified then the importance of being cleansed. Not just physically, but of the impurities that are within. Okay. Before they can appear before God. So as they did this, like, okay, this is a special occasion. You know. Even the Levites and the priests, if you remember, once they institute the law, they wash before every service. And they even had a certain way to wash the water dripping down and all this stuff that they had to do. And, and it would happen even when they desecrated themselves, when they handled you know, a dead body, they had to cleanse themselves, and so on and so forth. It was a consistent thing that happened over and over and over again. Maybe to the point that they forgot what it meant. Yeah, as things become old hat. You know, in, in the same way that if, uh, you know, you saw a bride, 
that was coming out of a church, and she's wearing a white dress, right? Um, and if you stopped and asked her, hey, why, why are you wearing the white dress? She might say, because uh, you wear white when you get married. <laughs> you know, she might not remember anything having to do with purity. <laughs> well, most women nowadays that aren't, don't know the Lord probably don't, right? Well, that's what happens with us with some of the religious things. That's where the Jews would eventually end up, uh, by and large. And so they cleanse themselves here. Uh, here they'd wash themselves using running water, and they'd, or they'd get like their, their clothes and they'd beat it against a rock in the same way that you know, women uh, from bygone eras would beat out right, the carpet on the side of the house or on balconies. And so then we need to have our minds uh, set and prepared as their minds were being prepared, knowing that the God that we serve is in fact holy and that we prepare and we serve him and we speak to him and approach him in a way that's uh, dignifying him. Because they, they, they understood. They didn't wash every day. They're like, well, we're doing something really different. Why are we doing this? And that starts a conversation, right? That starts the teaching. And that starts their learning. And that, that's what happens with us. When we sit and we sit with our families and say, hey, you know, we're going to pray and we're going to read. And they're like, what are we doing this for? It's a show on right now. And like, this is your chance to show them. This is your chance to teach them. Okay. And these are lessons that are going to stick forever. Moses tells them, you guys go ahead and do this. He said, on the third day in verse 15, on the third day you need to be ready. Right. And he says, and don't even go near your wives, he tells them. <laughs> He's not saying that intercourse was immoral, right? But that it indicated a state which was prohibited when you're going to contact that which is holy, which is God, okay? And really, I've heard it explained, the idea that, you know, when, when you are with your wife, you are becoming one flesh and you are united in so much as uh, you separate yourselves for that time so that now you can focus squarely on the Lord. You're not worried about other things, you're like, uh, it's just about me and God in the same way that when we go on retreats, you know, it's a men's retreat and we go there so that we focus. You know, we're not worried about, you know, impressing the ladies or that lady or whatever it is or being consumed with the busyness of our lives, but that we're focused. And so it's that, that same kind of a principle here that he tells them, you know, to stay away from women. The same thing holds true later on in First Samuel, if you remember when David goes to get the showbread. And he says, well, you know, we, all we got is a showbread. And you can have this if at least, he says, you've kept yourself from women. The exact same idea there. So then they needed to prepare their hearts, really, for the Lord's coming. And, and this mirrors exactly what we need to do uh, as we meet him daily. We sit, we pray, we get right. We allow him to prepare us as we seek him. I don't know if you guys ever had this experience where you get ready and you're praying, like you're going to sit to read and like you start reading, right? And then you're like, this just isn't working. It's, it's just like the, the word, it's just echoing an echo chamber and nothing's working. And so you got to stop and you got to recalibrate again. Say, okay, I need to sit and I need to be still. I need to pray, you know? And then the Lord says, all right, now start over. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, now it's working all of a sudden. It had nothing to do with the Lord. It had everything to do with us, yeah. It had everything to do with where we were, we're at. How do we prepare to seek the Lord? What kind of consecrated lives are we living for him? Hopefully people can notice it. But notice thirdly here, God demonstrates to them exactly who he is and the power and the holiness that, that he is to them. Look in verse 16. It says, so then on the third day, it came to pass in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. The cloud comes. The cloud was there for the protection. Okay, it was, a, it was to cover the sight of God from them, lest they see him and be consumed, right? So that God descended in this, in this cloud in front of this mountain in, in this wilderness experience in the same way that he did every single day, except on a much grander scale, really. And so then it's very similar to uh, Solomon, if you remember, when he consecrates the temple. And he's sitting there and he's praying. What happens? A cloud falls and descends upon the temple and fills it up and freaks them all out, by the way. And they just take, get out of there like, forget this. You know, this is too much for us. And the Lord's filling this place up. It's the exact same thing that it talks about in the book of Revelation when there's thunderings and lightnings in the throne room of heaven. Okay. The Lord comes down in this cloud and fills this up. And, and this is really his glory. 
that descends there, and the cloud is there to protect man. Okay. Exact same reason that when Moses says, Lord, hey, show me your glory, what does he do? He says, well, I can't show it to you because you'll get smoked, but what, I'll tell you what, I'll pass by and I'll cover your face, and then afterwards you can see what the afterglow is, and that gave him a sunburn for a while. He says there were these thunderings and lightnings, and it says the trumpet was sold out. People started shaking because they were scared. I don't, I've never shaken because I was so scared. But I, I'm at, you've got to be really terrified to shake and tremble out of fear. You know, I mean, I've had my heart feel like it's going to bust out of my chest, but never that, that shaky, you know, like, oh, God, you know, the knees knocking kind of thing like in the cartoons. But that's how they were. These guys, these guys were, were really nervous. And I think we would be too if all of a sudden Mount Wilson made these loud noises and there was, you know, lightning and then clouds the same. We'd be like, I'm getting out of here. Okay, this is a little too much for me. And so they heard it and, and, it, and it really, it knocked them back. And then it says Moses then brought the people out to meet God at this point. So they're all good and scared and primed up. And Moses says, come on, let's go meet God. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> Are you sure? I don't know about this. And, and they followed him. They approached at, at Moses' leading here. And so he brings the people up, and it says as they approached Mount Sinai, verse 18, was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. So we have the earth responding to the presence of God as it's shaking and trembling and lightning and thundering. Okay. Hmm. The Lord's in this fire, just like when he was in the burning bush, when he met Moses in the wilderness, just like he was in the fire that led them at night, you know, and showed them, hey, this is where you've got to be at. Later on in the Old Testament, we know the Lord's described as a consuming fire that eats things up. You know, we know the fire can purify. It's all of these different aspects that all are, are, are just as much God as any of them. And it's no coincidence then that these manifestations of God, you know, match their experience up until now. So they would associate the two, and they'd see, okay, there's that smoke, and there's that fire, that's him, and this, this, is, this is a little much. This is on a grander scale, really. You know, the smoke then is coming up, just like it says, out of, out of a furnace, and we have these earthquakes going on and, and shaking things. You know, in California, we're pretty used to that kind of thing. I was talking to somebody that's not from California recently, and they were saying, you know, I've, I'm kind of nervous about about these earthquakes. I said, why are you talking about? They ain't so bad. They're pretty bad. They're pretty bad, yeah? I mean, uh, some of you guys, although you might not admit it, probably get really stinking nervous when those things come rolling around, okay? Imagine somebody that's not used to it. Imagine it following with all of these visual cues. You know, if heaven and earth are responding to God in this way, what does that show us about us? How do we approach this God that can do this? In Psalm 114, verse 7, the psalmist writes, Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord. He says, At the presence of the God of Jacob, you should tremble. You know, it is no light thing. All of these churches that, you know, go out there and these guys speak from the pulpit like they're talking at a bar. You know, they're, they're nuts. These people that, you know, send up prayers that are just crazy things. You know, you're like, whoa, what's going on? And yet that's exactly how the world would like to treat God because, because it's easy, because it doesn't cost anything. In Nahum chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, it says that the mountains quake before him, the hills melt and the earth heaves at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. It says, who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the fierce, fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire and the rocks are thrown down by him. Very, very much like a volcano, it sounds like, doesn't it? Yet this is the God that, that calls him and says, come here, I want to talk to you. It's like getting called to the principal's office, huh? You get that slip of paper. Well, you got to go principal. Oh, it's, I, I kind of love it when that happens in class. You know, the poor little kid walks up with a slip, says, here, you know, give this to this kid. And you hand it to the kid, and all the other ones look at him like, ooh, what'd you do? And they walk out real quiet doesn't matter who the kid is. doesn't matter, you know, what they were five seconds ago. They thought they were something. All of a sudden, it's gone. Tail between the legs. See you later, man. It was nice knowing you. <laughs> and then when they really don't come back, then it's even better, right? This trumpet blasted so long, got louder. He says it got louder and louder. 
And then Moses spoke to God, and God answered. You know, later on in Deuteronomy 4, verse 11, Moses reminds him of, of this experience, and he says this. He says, So then you had came near to God at the, instead of the foot of the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire to the midst of heaven, with darkness, cloud, and thick darkness. And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire, and you heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. You only heard a voice. So if they didn't see him, then they couldn't, and they probably didn't want to at this point, but they heard it. Okay, they heard it. Wigging them out. But it was a privilege. It was a privilege given only to Israel that the Lord would speak and they get to hear it audibly. You know? I wonder what it sounds like. I don't know. You know, it must have been pretty wild. But the Lord only speaks to his own. Only speaks to his. And God calls us in that exact same way. So when God speaks, are you listening? Right? It says the Lord came down on top of that mountain, and it says he called Moses up to him. And Moses went up. So that Moses then was even distinct from the rest of them. That They all walked up to the edge of where they could walk up, and then he says, Moses, come. And Moses just disappears. <laughs> hey, Moses. And just, that's it, speak to God face to face. And so that when he gets there, the Lord then warns Moses as he gets up there. He says, and the Lord said to Moses, Go down. He says, warn the people as they break through to gaze at the Lord. And many of them perish. And let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. So he says, hey, you need to make sure that they really get this not to come through. Okay? Because if they come through, that's it for them. They're done. The Lord reiterated his holiness to them and the restrictions regarding going ahead and breaking through. That word breakthrough is interesting. Uh, the root word means to, to break down something, to destroy something as such as you might tear down in their day city walls or the way a house or a fortress would be torn down. Here's really talking about a breakthrough that is getting, going beyond that point that had a destructive effect, both on the sanctity of God, right, because they're violating it, and ultimately on them, you know, because they would die. And so the Lord tells them, they need to remember my holiness. They might forget. You go tell them. Okay. I think the Lord knew what someone might have been thinking, yeah? Uh, you know, that we're a bunch of knuckleheads. And that given the chance, we'll go do something stupid. He says, no, you, you, you go make sure that they know. He knows their character, right? God knows our character. It's part of why, you know, for a bunch of us, we hear the same things over and over and over again in Bible studies, yeah? And we're like, oh, why do I keep hearing the same study again? Well, you know, maybe the Lord's trying to get that through to you. Same study in like three days in a row. I mean, there, there it is. Hmm. You know, how can we worship a God who, who we don't really get to understand when it comes to who he is? Well, we get them to the word, right? We let him show us. And we let him demonstrate to us who he is on a daily basis. He even said those priests... You know, they needed to make sure that they consecrate themselves especially, you know, lest they get broken out. Well, if you know anything about where we're at in terms of history here, the priesthood hasn't really been instituted yet, right? Not properly. So when he's talking about priests here, he's not really talking about the priesthood as we know it from later on, but rather it's very likely the firstborn, okay, who were spared in Egypt, so these, these people. In fact, later on we know the Levites are taken and separated out as God's priests rather than the firstborn, it tells us. And so he says, you guys are in charge of your own consecration. You make sure that, that you take it seriously. You know, you need to be especially sure because beyond anything else, when you serve God, you, you, you must be set apart. And so then Moses goes on. He tells Aaron, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai. For you warned us, and he tries to defend and says, hey, well, you know, maybe it's not. So you did tell us already. Moses kind of steps up and tries to defend them, and, and probably not. Uh, the thing he should have been doing there. But he's like, hey, you told us, and they're, they're going to be all right. God says, no, you, you go tell them anyway. You know, he told things over and over. You know, it's such a contrast, the way that God presented himself and the way that he asked the people to approach him in the Old Testament to how the Lord tells us then, the way that we should approach. You see, we have access now so that we don't have an intermediary. You know, while we still approach with that same respect and awe, that existed then. In Hebrews 10, verse 19, the writer of Hebrews tells us, Therefore, brethren, 
having boldness, enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water so that we have that access through the person of Christ as we've been cleansed by his blood and washed clean by the water of the word. And so we now have that ability to go back and forth, whereas back in Exodus 19, Moses is the one that's going back and forth and relaying the message. You know, they said this, he says this. Later on, they'll even cut it off further. Remember, they'll get scared enough. They said, we don't want to hear God anymore. You talk to him, and he tells you, then you just come tell us. It's a little much for us. You know? Hebrews 12 builds on this idea. In Hebrews 12, 18, the writer of Hebrews says, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burn with fire into blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the voice, uh, that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. It says, For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. Even Moses was nervous. He says, But you, you've come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. And there is the danger, yes, that we use these things as an excuse. We say, well, that's an impediment. I'm sorry, I just can't, you know, I'm not good enough, can't approach God. He says, no. He says, you come. He says, for if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. He says, but now he's promised, saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace, by which we may serve God acceptably, with reverence and godly fear. Says, for our God is a consuming fire. Because we remember the God that we serve, we are obedient to him. Because we know the end of things, yeah? It reminds me in the book of Hebrews, we are obedient to him now. Because we know how it turns out. You know, I was listening to this study earlier today. And it was really good. And, um, you know, the one thing he kept saying over and over again, and it just stuck and was so true, is that, you know, we are able to endure. We're able to be obedient. We're able to keep on in serving the Lord. He says, because we know the end. And it is such a simple principle, but it's the thing that I have to remember every single day. That when people just all seem to be lined up against you, that it's okay because you know the end, right? And when things are frustrating beyond measure, it's okay because we know the end. And what a blessing that is. What an encouragement that God tells us that. He says, all right, you know how it ends, and that's all you got to know. Well, I'll get you there one way or another. Hmm. And so God, guarding against it, sends Moses down, says, away, he says, get down, right? And then come up, you and Aaron with you. He says, go Speak to him. Bring back your brother Aaron, who we know is, is a high priest here. He says, and, and do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. He says, so Moses went down to the people, and they spoke to him. Hmm. He continued Moses, you know. The people reminding, being reminded of, of that holiness. You know, Moses is an example of this obedience here. He goes back and forth and back and forth. Later on, it tells us that Moses was the humblest guy that lived, you know. That's obedience, yeah? And he loved those people, even though they didn't show a lot that was worth loving, you know, from, a, from a, our perspective, from a human perspective. That's obedience, you know, because of the God that he served, because he was saved. See, what does your obedience look like on a daily basis? Do you allow God to direct you? Do you defer to God's perfect knowledge and issues? Moses could have just said, no, Lord, you know, they, they know already. Just, we'll be good. Let's just continue. No, he says, I'm going to go do that. Okay. Do we lean toward our own standing more than we do the Lord? 
how do we honor a holy God then? We honor him with our lives. We honor him with what we do every single day, whether it's that work that you're engaged in all day, whether it's the studies that you're responsible to complete, whether it's the families that we're charged to raise. Whoever it is that God's giving you in your sphere, you are to serve God there, right? You are to serve them and to love them and to be an example so that they might be saved, right? And then they get to, they get to know how the end is going to affect them in a real way, you know? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your love and goodness. Our prayer, Lord, is that you would help us to live in more obedience today than, than there was yesterday in our lives. We pray that you'd speak to us continually through the word and, and deal with us as you shape us into something that is more usable for you each day. Thank you for your love and goodness. Lord, we thank you for the fellowship that we have here uh, in the church and how it's a, a blessing and an encouragement to us, Lord. We lift up the rest of our evening as you go before us in Jesus' name. Amen.